Hello team, it's Fab here, founder and head teacher at All Marketing School and your Marketing BFF. I want to remind you that there is a special invitation for you to join us for the ALT Marketing Certification. Get certified as a positive impact strategy and make people fall in love with you and your work. Reclaim your time, understand the marketing foundations with a positive impact spin. If you are a marketing freelancer who wants to raise the quality of services and do more with less, or maybe you are an early stage marketeer ready to invest to gain real experience in building a strategy with purpose, or you're a marketing leader who wants to be recognized as a go-to expert and tackle new growth challenges. Whether you are beginners or whether you have some confidence into your strategy, we want to support you. We want to help you achieve your strategic goals, toss confettis in the air, and blast your favorite hype song as you get through eight incredible weeks with me and the rest of our faculty. Think about our certification as marketing training at university standards, not prices. So if you're ready to join us and you want to check out our incredible curriculum, all you have to do is go to amschool.click slash certification. I repeat, amschool.click slash certification to find out more and learn what you are going to go through in our eight weeks. From marketing foundations all the way to leadership and storytelling skills, we're also going to cover strategic marketing blocks and advanced marketing tools. Plus, you get workshops, seats, group work, and even timely panels with incredible experts in the field. So what are you waiting for? No, I mean it. Our next cohort is starting real soon. So make sure that you head to amschool.click slash certification to come and join us and learn how to market to hearts, not to brains. Welcome to Alt Marketing School. We are currently bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello, squirrel friends, and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. My name is Fab and I'm the founder and head teacher at Alt Marketing School. Today I'm very excited because, okay, I need to say, I love all marketing topics, don't get me wrong, and I love to talk about values and I love to talk about strategy and all these things that we talk about all the time. But when we're talking about some topics that are actually a bit more geeky, that's when I get really excited. So having Nick with me today is literally my best dream and probably his worst nightmare by the end of this, but hopefully not. (laughs) <laughs> before i say hi to nick i want you to know in case you don't know who nick edwards is is one of the founders of feed which is set up in 2020 with fellow founder joshua jacobson as a solution to time consuming expensive and complicated digital marketing solutions available to entrepreneurs small businesses and marketers alike before feed he managed classical musicians and project and prior to that he was a hedge fund investor such as blue bay and warwick capital he also trained as an economist at the University of Cambridge. I, hello, and welcome back, Nick. Did I scare you off? 
<laughs> no, I'm still here. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. And as I said, it's definitely going to be my pleasure because I have all the juicy questions uh, for you that we didn't actually get to cover in both of our interview that I'm going to put in the show notes and also a session that we did together for our community and our alumni. There was so much gold, but also I found that it was a great starting point. And I feel when it comes to our favorite topic, which is going to be digital advertising, social ads, there's so much more that you can actually dig into. And this is what I want us to do today. Feel ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> before that, see, I prepare you. And then I'm like, wait, before that, <laughs> before that, we need to break the ice. Not that we need to, but, you know, it's, it's the show. So I have three questions for us. And the first one, <clears throat> Nick, is what would be a trivia category that you would be really good at and why? Oh, God, there's a couple. So I've got a couple of even nerdier interests at the moment, the digital marketing. One of them is, um, I can't believe I'm about to say this. One of them is UK cathedral architecture. And the other one is the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, as in the fantasy writer, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Silmarillion. I have to pick one of those probably. Well, and, and then if I could have a third, I know you asked for one, but I'm going to give you three. If I could have a third, it would be sort of early sacred um, English choral music as well, because I used to be a singer in those kind of choirs. So hopefully that's niche enough for you. <laughs> that is perfect. Trust me. <laughs> the thing is, some people actually like start thinking about them and then I see they're stunted because I'm like, oh, but it's not really a normal category. And I was like, just, just, just give it to me. I like that you went straight onto it. The more niche, the better. I love it. Yeah. Especially uh, the cathedral architecture. I just love that one. And you said it's Ooh. recent as well. How so? <laughs> What's perfect? Yeah, well, I, so, I, so I, I was a choral singer, hence the choral music stuff. And um, I'd always been to lots of these buildings in the UK and elsewhere. And I'd never really... I was just so used to it. I never really took the time to stop and learn about the actual history of the buildings and the sort of movement of uh through time of different um styles of, of of building and the art within them and all that stuff so i've been really getting into it in the last year i i say actually driven by one book it's almost like i've got a product placement thing here hang on is it driven, hold on <laughs> driven by one book called this one called the cathedrals of england and it really spiked an interest in it for me and i've just kind of carried that through for the last year so that's how it that's how it sort of occurred i absolutely love that that's amazing okay so w with this starting point i'm almost excited yeah. and terrified at the same time to ask you the second question um because uh goodness knows i mean i have a gist now but we'll see nick what okay. was the first job you had and what did you learn from it god the very first job i had was probably a piano teacher when i was like 50 no actually I lie I lie okay this is better so I did teach piano when I was 15 but even earlier I was from the ages of about 12 to 15 I was a DJ for kids parties so I used to I used to DJ kids parties anywhere from like the ages of six till ten <laughs> in my local area and I did you know, I got really I got really into it and it was I was it was crazy how much these sort of you know young parents would would sort of hire you for the amount of money they pay you. So I took it quite seriously for about three years. And I must have DJed like every local kid's party. DJ. 
I had business cards and everything. So uh, that was that was my first job. It's like a little entrepreneurial like spur <laughs> even before everything else happened. So aside from making incredible business card, what did you learn? <laughs> Can you think of that? Well, sorry, that was the question, wasn't it? What did I learn? What did I learn? Um, good question. I think what well, I think like what I learned from that was probably like pick your really know your target customer because I was like I was I, I grew up in Southwest London and there were all these sort of um, like pretty wealthy families around and I would just go from like family to family and they would they would sort of be so happy that there was another almost like almost kid DJing this kid's party and they'd pay you this cra- this crazy amount of money and um, it was kind of like once I figured out who was gonna hire me it was just like find more of the same and repeat kind of thing um, so yes I suppose if I was putting it in like business language it would be knowing your knowing your customer absolutely love that i have one final question uh, on this very important probably the most important as a as somebody who has a background in music like working in music myself so it's kind of one of those things i always like to ask questions about music when that comes up what was hmm. one of the anthems like what was one, one, one of those songs i know it's like a long time ago but do you remember this one of those songs that you know you could put it on and that would be the one for the kiddies to go wild Oh, God, that is a great question. God, what would it have been? Let me come back to you on that one, because there's, there's, there's one that comes to mind, but I'm not prepared to sing it, and I can't remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way you can do it now, is singing it. <laughs> come back at the end of the interview, and I will have remembered the name. Okay, okay well, I'll put, I'll put a pin in that. Listen, dear listener, let's put a pin in that, because I'm excited to hear that. <laughs> I'm so excited. Th- this interview has already gone, like, a thousand. I'm, I'm on it. I'm, I'm sort of over there. Um, I'm bringing it back a touch, but not too much, um, because obviously now going into the present, all we're about at all marketing school is encouraging people to market to hearts, not to brains. So for us, it's so important to see how we're making an impact in the people that we touch or our customers. So how does making a positive impact mean to you and why when it comes to your audience or customers? When it comes to our audience specifically, I guess that we saw... You know, our, our sort of broader mission has always been um, how do we help as many people who are entrepreneurs, they're just getting started with their business, maybe they have a really small team. How do you help them compete on a more level playing field with much bigger businesses and get their products or their music or whatever it is out there? Um, so what we're trying to do is not only build something that obviously we can turn into a business, but hopefully build something that means more people can grow their businesses. And it's also priced in a fair way that and makes it accessible it's a bit it's a bit grandiose to say democratizing the world of digital marketing i think but you know that 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 is kind of what we want to do um and yeah i guess just open up access to these kind of skills or at least reduce the reliance on these kind of skills for for for, for more people so i think that's you know that's how we're doing our bit of good in the world and you we, i always come up against the the thing of like, God, you know, do do you really want to be more encouraging more people to market on social media? Is that a good thing? You know, ethically, all that stuff. And then I'm like, well, wouldn't social media be a much better place if you had more individuals and small businesses more dominant rather rather than just a load of big corporations? Um, so that's the kind of good we're doing, I guess. I love that because you don't didn't just mention the budgets, which is obviously something that some bigger companies have versus some smaller entrepreneurs or businesses. But I also find that there's something that you kind of mentioned, which reminds me of pretty much every meme that I've seen in the past six months, 
which was about like the, the Facebook business suite and the ads manager constantly changing, which it genuinely happens. And for somebody, for example, going a bit off of platforms, because I know they're not, you don't integrate all platforms as per yet to time of recording, but I also use Pinterest. So I've used Pinterest quite a lot and it's been mm-hmm. quite an interesting advertising right. avenue. But even then, even the, their reporting is a bit easier, creating ads is a bit more straightforward. But yeah. still, some of these platforms, I think that's not just the budgets is one of the things that will block you from actually kind of trying to invest in it. Is also the fact that you look at getting into the business suite or getting into the ads manager and you just feel so overwhelmed, so confused, so lost. And I think that's such a big blocker for so many people and especially, again, small audiences or even marketers. I don't know. I find that for marketers, maybe it's more a case of I ain't got the time. Every, you know, I, I want to have something that kind of saves me time. But also we have the side yeah. of entrepreneurs. And as you say, some of the personal brands are like, no, no, I have the time. The problem is how I'm going to get the right skills, how I'm going to make the right decisions. So, yeah, I wanted to hear from you when it comes to the feed users and clients and obviously all the people that you support right now. How do you find how do you find these elements of the lack of time and the lack of knowledge or kind of work around different platforms has been impacting the way that people use or not use ads these days? Well, I think that so I'll give you a specific example with Facebook and Instagram. Like if you've if you've got a musician releasing their first track or someone, you know, just I don't know, releasing a just starting to think about marketing and going along the first steps of doing that. There's two options. You can either use Ads Manager, which, as you said, is really complicated, or you can boost a post. And what we see is just loads of people boosting a post, and and uh, because it's just easy, you know, it's like a few clicks and you're done. But the effectiveness tends to be not great, and you you actually end up with the worst of both worlds. So you've got these people spending money, but they're not getting the results. So it, it's almost better to not do anything, or to at least try and do it properly and invest the money in a smart way. Um, so I think that that's the most common thing is like people would keep trying to do that. They'll, they'll spend a bit of, you know, the budgets aren't big. So they'll be spending a significant amount of money to them on something that isn't really that effective. And it feels a bit like you're, you're sort of lost and um, it's all too confusing. And, you know, you kind of should be doing this thing called digital advertising, but um, but you're not doing it in, in, in a way that makes sense for you or, or your business. And I think that's the most common symptom um, to start with. I love that in our training that we did together, which our students loved. I love that you talked about the grow, sell, grow accordion. So I'm actually come back to that because yeah. I really, because okay. I think it's, um again, going back, not just to some beginners, we talked about not just the lack of time, but also the lack of knowledge or kind of results. Mm. I think even for somebody who's a bit more experienced, it's like a great reminder of a different way to approach ads because I find that just thinking about obviously historically when we teach in our certification we teach our paid advertising uh, session I find it's really mm-hmm. interesting to hear but you know shouldn't ads only be used when I'm launching something shouldn't be ads only be used you know with the intent to click on something or to go and convert and I find that the grow sell grow to me has a bit more of that nurturing aspect which some people forget so yeah. if you like to tell us a bit more about that in case somebody doesn't know it yet yeah, it's possibly the least catchy name for an idea that I've come up with, but I call it the Grow Sell Grow Accordion because it's like it's like these periods of expansion and contraction and it's kind of you know like playing an accordion. And what what it what it sort of centers on is you can't always be selling to an audience the whole time. In fact, our data, and we can come back to this, our data suggests that's not even the best thing to do anyway, even if you do want conversions. Um so 
the Grow, Sell, Grow Accordion is all about putting a framework on how you focus on alternating periods of growth and building an audience, nurturing that audience without selling to them. And then when you've had enough growth, switching into a period of selling products or tickets or getting mailing list signups, that sort of thing. And, and, and having parameters around when you switch. So, okay, my audience has grown by 2000. So now it's time to try getting more people to sign up to a mailing list. And then maybe, I don't know, you're running conversion ads or you're running a campaign of some sort to get people signed up to your mailing list. When do you stop doing that? Well, it's when you've got the signs of audience saturation. So let's say you've spent over X amount, which could be a fair test, so I don't know, hundred pounds or 200 pounds or something. And say you haven't got any conversions for two weeks or for a week. As soon as that happens, you're like, okay, that's it. It's not going to work. I've given it a fair test. And rather than just endlessly kind of A-B testing and selling and selling and selling um, within that sort of part of the framework, you switch back to grow. And the point is you're trying to build and develop an audience before you go back to sell to them again. So it's this, this alternating periods of growing and selling, expansion and sort of um, sales that I think there are obvious applications when your audience is smaller, but I think it's a useful framework for like anyone potentially. If you, if you ever struggle to get a constant stream of sales. I'm going to play devil's advocate. We're going to put our little marketing pro hats on. Because uh, I, I love that and I love the idea of nurturing. That's what we teach anywhere as well in the school. So obviously I'm a big fan of that. But putting mm -hmm. my little, um, not even skeptical pro hat on, but like my inquisitive one, that's a good word. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. what about that fear or feeling or those conversations, especially for a bit more established marketers around, well, it's good to grow, but how can mm -hmm. I ensure that actually I'm growing with the right people and the quality of the growth is right? The reason why I'm saying this is because I think, and this is actually putting everybody as us marketers in, in the same room. So what happens is that we, we could grow like doing nothing. Those days on Instagram <laughs> where you could do literally post a picture, a half picture of a dog and the people like, this is yeah. amazing. And I think yeah, yeah, yeah. some of us having had this experience and like having seen that growth, now we're struggling. And so there's oh. been a different conversation to say, which is less followers, but better quality. Yeah. Mm, so that's, I find that I love, I love the concept of the framework that you mentioned, but I can see some people being like, but how can I grow, but not just for the sake of growing so that when I get to sell, I'm selling to people that are ready to buy. And I know this sounds obvious and some of us already might know the answer, but I think that is an objection that might come into somebody's head having seen these hmm. new trends and like how things are going these days. So what would you tell to these people? Yeah, I mean, I think first first of all, it, everything I think deserves a test. And often who we think our customer is, isn't actually who your customer could be or, or actually will be. So I think whenever you're thinking about growing and nurturing an audience, looking at the kinds of people who are signing up and comparing them to, if you have one already, your existing customer base and saying, are these the right kind of people? There's a lot you can do with intuition. You know, you don't have to test something. You can, if you sell, um, I don't know, something that has such a clear target audience and you get loads of people following you who are so not that target audience and they're never going to have a use for your product, then obviously there's a disconnect there. Um, but if there's, I, I've had so many instances where there's one accessories brand in particular that I'm thinking of that we, we work with um, recently and mainly targeted at women, um, sort of earrings, necklaces, and they were quite surprised when we ran a few tests about how many men were actually buying the products. And so their, their kind of ideal customer was 
um, in their heads was slightly different from who was actually buying the products. You know, maybe it's for a partner or a family member, a friend or whatever, or just for them, who knows. But um, so I think always keeping an idea of like who your target customer is versus the people you're reaching is one. But then also if, you've, if you're setting up a funnel, and I don't know, you're, you're getting four pieces of content in front of people before you want to try and sell to them. If you can somehow separate out the people, you know, people who watched a certain video who arrived at your page in a certain way, if you can separate them out and then test different cohorts against each other when it comes to selling, you'll very quickly know if you're reaching the right people or actually if it's all vanity metrics and you're not reaching the right people at all. Um, and you'll also figure out whether there's a surprise in there. You know, is, is there actually someone who um, we didn't think would buy a product or become a super fan, but who actually is really engaging this bucket of people? So I think there's, there's always, always assuming that you don't know is, is a good way to start. And then as long as you have a clear way of testing whether you're reaching the right people as they come in through the top of the funnel down to the bottom of the funnel, then you can mitigate a lot of those problems, I think. I mean, it's it's quite an, it's sort of, this is, you know, if we're speaking to marketers, I guess this is more the kind of language that marketers would use. Yeah, you know, if I could speak to a musician or like a, your average person starting a business about this, it might be a little bit hard to get your head around at first. But, but that was the sort of thought that came to mind for me. I love that. I'm going to add something else to that because I think that it's so important. So thank you so much for reminding us of that, of actually who are we talking to versus who do we think we're talking to, which every time we take one of our students through that process of understanding their personas and then we ask them to base mm -hmm. it against actually a tiny bit of research and then they get to do the like, oh, actually that, that, that element of my persona or the person that I built in is actually not that. I've discovered, as you say, yeah. that maybe it's different people, maybe it's, it's different gender, maybe it's different like needs and things. So that's so important. My other thing that I'm gonna, that I would love to add because I was thinking of a practical application of actually creating an ad and putting the right content out there, especially having you having slightly started to use feed myself. Yes. So I've, I've seen how, how it works. And if you have to pick your post, because it's all about organic, which we'll talk about, which I love, it's almost like boosting a post, but in a better way, because you're actually using your existing mm -hmm. content. And I find that another thing that I would suggest, and this might be controversial, controversial hat on. Okay. You know, it's great for you to boost a meme because there's actually got loads of engagement. There is a random meme. But I, sometimes I also say, well, think about also what is the content that you're boosting and how is it qualifying mm. the potential? Mm. If it's actually going for growth and not just for engaging your current audience, think about the content that you're boosting so that it's not just content that goes highly viral because it's super highly relatable to everyone but it still speaks to that specific people. So even if it were a meme, I would say it can be a meme, but maybe it, ta it taps into a problem that your specific audience has. Because I find that that's another issue, is that sometimes we take the easy okay. road. <laughs> we're like, well, yeah. you know? That's, that, that's a really interesting point, because you know, if you left Feed's algorithm, the way we built Feed is like, yes, it's, it's hopefully doing lots of clever stuff in the background, but it still needs, for these kind of reasons, it still needs that human input, because... You know, if you if you our algorithm basically is figuring out which of your posts are getting most engagement in different parts of the funnel and it will comes runs these like winner stays on tournaments. But if you've opted in some content that actually is really engaging but completely irrelevant, it can it can obviously have a lot of budget allocated to it and and not have a, a tangible impact on your business. And I think you 
there has to be an element of sort of human common sense there in terms of what you promote as well. I absolutely agree. I mean, I would also say just to go back to that and be like, well, how can we obviate that if we were to use feed? I would say then going forward, maybe trying and create as much relevant content as possible. Even if you're going for formats that maybe are a bit more light or a bit more entertaining, there's still a way to make it Mm -hmm. relevant to your people. And I think sometimes we forget that. And because of my next point and a little bit of error discussion, which with Nick, I probably either asked him in an interview or talked about in the class at least once, which is all about, well, organic reach is dead, is plummeting, what is happening? You know, it's it's that reminder that even if you boost some specific content as paid content, that organic content that you create is still a window into the expectations that your audience will have if they follow you or if they take action. So I think it's always mm-hmm. a great reminder of that. And now that's a segue into everybody's favorite topic at the time of recording, which honestly, I wish it would be different, but I don't think it's going to necessarily have a 180 turn, which is organic reach going slightly lower and things being a bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. And we talked about your take on it in a few a few times already, but I would love to, re- to re-engage in that because I think it's an important conversation to have and maybe look at it more from a strategic point of view. Um, as well as saying, okay, this is happening, but it doesn't mean that we need to completely step away from social platforms in the first place. What are, mm. what are some of your thoughts, especially maybe with some of the conversations that you might have had with some of the people within the community that have struggled with this recently? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a thing. And I, I can completely understand why, particularly on Instagram, you hear about it a lot, you know, the decline of organic reach, and it's becoming more a uh, almost like a pay-to-play pay to pay type platform, um, which is it's really difficult for lots of people. Um, and, you know, part it's sort of underlying part of the reason we built Feed is because we saw a real need for people to be able to, I don't know, spend, even if it's quite a low budget, you know, a few pounds a day or something, just to give their content a chance of reaching their existing audience. Um, and you can, if you're, especially if your audience is smaller, you can, get sort of 20 times your organic reach quite easily with, with that with that level of spend. Um, so it is, it is a sort of unfortunate reality. Um, then again, you know, I think there's the, the, the flip side of that is the good thing about um, retargeting and putting a little bit of spend behind posts is that it's much more controllable than the going viral moment that everyone wants on TikTok um, which great if it happens, you know, but we view it as more like the cherry on top rather than the, the cake itself, because it's really hard to control. Um, you always hear stories about people going viral or, you know, without spending anything, they suddenly have this huge influx of audience and are able to grow their business that way. And that's absolutely brilliant if you can, obviously it's the, it's the ideal way, but, um, but that, you know, we talked about this in an article about Instagram growth recently. That is very much the exception and not the rule. You know, when you look at average growth, it's much, much lower. Um, and I think as a result, you can kind of get carried away with the, the the promise of organic reach when when it's really just a lucky few who really get the, the great results from it. Um, but ultimately, I think a, a good solution has to has to involve both in some way. You can't Constant, unless you've really set up a funnel that works and is repeatable, you can't constantly be just using paid advertising as your only way of growing. There has to be organic stuff in there, in there too. 
Um, that was a bit of a sort of rambling answer, but I hope I hope there was <laughs> there was something useful in no, there. No, a thousand percent, <laughs> and I love that you kind of reiterated the point of that content still being something that helps us understanding what the brand or the personal brand or the person is about, and kind of allowing yeah. us then to back up again those bits of content that we want to kind of boost and and obviously share, especially if we're using again the grow sell grower concept. Maybe it's like GSG. We'll- GSG. I have I have used yeah. the acronym GSG I before. I don't know. If, I still don't know if it makes it better. It sounds really boring. Well, but. <laughs> marketers acronyms is literally. I should do a meme that is all about well, marketers put an acronym in there, and I'm gonna love it. That's that's how we work. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. But I think <laughs> I think in the GSG, um, there is something in there when it comes to the understanding of what we want is just to get kind of warmed up and understand who people are, and then those little pushes that we can have we put in front of our audience or an engaged audience our offering mm-hmm. reminds them that it's there is something that i talk about in a lot of my workshops and i've done for years which is a 1930s rule marketing rule of seven so it ain't new and it's all about taking seven interactions for people before they take action mm-hmm. on something and that was billboards you could argue that with a yeah. post it's probably more than seven because you know yeah. you need the interactions and i think is remembering that people really connect with people and getting their familiarity and their relatability totally. takes time, doesn't it? And, and that's exactly why boosting posts doesn't work is because you, you've got no way of reaching those people again. So when people you're kind of reaching people with one post and even if they're kind of interested, you can't retarget with boosted posts. So it's, it's like you, you kind of lose that potential audience member straight away. And the other thing that came to mind when you were talking about organic reach is, you know, the way we like to think about feed is um and digital advertising generally i think is like a multiplier for what's going on organically so i'm i'm personally of the belief that you know if if you haven't figured out at least how to grow a little bit or start growing organically um adding a load of advertising spend on top of it isn't really going to solve your problems because you're you know in like in like the tech world you'd say you're pre-product market fit basically but what it means is there are more fundamental issues. So maybe your product isn't good enough. You don't know who your audience is. Or your content isn't good enough. And that's the reason why you're not sort of getting some organic traction. In that case, I don't advise people use feed or any other di- type of digital advertising unless they're using it to learn stuff um, and test. Because it's like, you know, it's it, the mul- if you multiply zero by a thousand, it's still zero. So that, that's the kind of, we, we think about, paid advertising as a multiplier for, for what's already happening organically with, within a business. I love that. That's a great way of actually explaining it and also visualizing it because I think basically what we've been talking about the listener for the past 20 minutes, but it genuinely is if you don't have a clear understanding of your product, if you don't know that your product is serving the need of your audience and you don't create content mm-hmm. that actually introduces us to that or answers some objections or showcases some problems and solutions, you can you can boost all you want. You can all add all the paid ads you want. You're still not going to get the results because you're not tapping into what people need. That's simple as that. Exactly. So I think it's very important. Yeah. Now, one final point that I want to cover today, even if I could talk about this for hours, but dear listeners on a time schedule, we know, don't you worry. I'm going to give you one more thing to think about, which is so important, which is assets. That's what I want to talk about briefly. I know that A-B testing is super important and it's something that I mentioned a few times. I even mentioned with Nick in our interview. But I wanted to get back to it and ask another contentious question to them on a roll, um, which is about the role of static 
let's say, obviously, like mm. boosting organic posts, but static ads versus video ads. Because you would assume that I would be very much like video is the way to go. Don't do any more static stuff. But part of me is like, I don't know, you know, I think there's actually some power also in testing some static graphics. But I don't have the data. Mm-hmm. You have more data than me. You might have other opinions. I want to hear all about it. That, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I would never, whenever we present data, it's always, I'm always careful to say this is on an average, like aggregated basis, because on average, we know that video outperforms image by, I think last time I checked, it was about 60%. Um, there's a few, I, I can bring out a few key trends that we see with content, but yeah, I mean, video, Instagram rather desperately is heading towards short form video as fast as it can and just copying every other platform out there. It's just a bit like, and in fact, they've stopped the rollout of their, their, their new feature recently because so many people were complaining. So thank God they're actually listening. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely a good way of reaching people for the first time and getting a, a sort of eye-catching way of getting their attention. I think sometimes I see people, I think it's really obvious when people are doing it disingenuously and they're just kind of hopping on the bandwagon and it's not actually true to them or their brand or the per- people behind the business. Um, that's when it throws up sort of, uh, alarm bells for me a bit and yeah i think there's also room for image content as well definitely i don't think i don't think you know images are dead but yeah that we we have noticed that on average videos do perform better but coming on to my second point natural feeling content that isn't salesy is by far and away the, the thing that impacts content performance the most so when you don't have like a direct pitch in your content and you're not asking people to, it's not all about the sell, but actually you're being much more natural. It's really an insight into you and your work or whatever you make. Um, people really engage with that stuff much more than the direct sell stuff. So a kind of natural feeling behind the scenes image, I think would do much better than a really professional slick, but nothing quite inauthentic video, I think personally. Um, and natural that natural feeling content um, where it showcases you or um uh or, or your products tends to outperform by about 100 percent, so double the performance of anything that's more salesy on average so yeah i guess that's that's my thoughts on 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 the trends in the trends in content so i'm gonna ask one more follow-up question which i have my answer to this but i want to see if if you're gonna say it which means we're same brains which is okay that's great good to know but then how do I actually make the sell? If this, let's say I boost this post, or I'm, fun, or I'm in this kind of selling kind of stage of my framework, yeah. how do I then go about selling? So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an example that I, I, I always do, which is, is pre- particularly pre- prevalent in music. And um, basically you get, what you get when people don't really think about how they should be promoting them, their new release, I don't know, let's say they've released an album, is they'll always promote like, an image of the album artwork to an audience of people who have never really heard about them before and just say, my album's out now, go stream it. And there's literally nothing in that post that gives anyone any incentive to click through and go stream the album. So what works better is like some behind the scenes content of them actually playing some tracks from the album or rehearsing or talking about it. Um, It just comes across so much better and it really gives people a reason to take that action. So, when I say not selling, I don't necessarily mean you can't have any like visit my website to check out the product kind of thing. But we see it always works better when it's paired with media, probably mostly video, but sometimes image as well, I guess, that that looks natural, feels authentic, feels like you. 
and that the media side of it isn't isn't necessarily salesy but it's actually you're selling the the why and not the what that makes sense so sell why should people be interested in this sell that you know why should they sign up to your mailing list sell the stuff that's on your mailing list or who you are as a person rather than I have a mailing list or my album's out now. Mm. To be honest, that's an excellent point, actually. I love that. The example really, really kind of puts it down really well. And I was thinking another thing related to this, if you think about it, is just having a clear call to action, whether it's at the end of, of the post. To be honest, that also reminds me to remind everyone to have calls to action. And I'm going to do one little rant aside because I talk about it a lot, which is why is it important? Because regardless of the call to action you have, if all of your content has a call to action, especially social content, you're educating your audience to take action. Sometimes it's going to be quite passive, like share or even, let's say, like drop a little emoji if you relate. It doesn't have to be anything time consuming, but educate your audience to take action. Add calls to action so that it feels natural. And then when you're posting any post that has one, Again, it's still part of how you communicate and how you create your content. That is my little pet peeve because I find that some people are struggling with it. And I usually mm-hmm. ask, well, how many times do you actually remember to put a call to action in? It's like, well, yeah. you know, if I'm, and it's like, if I'm selling something, I'm like, no, there's so many other things that you can ask people to do or remind them to do that don't take a lot of effort. That that means that then yeah. it creates a more organic feel to it. That would be my other suggestion. But I love your suggestion too. I think just don't forget the call Absolutely. to action. I think that makes sense. And the, it, it's, also, it's always easy when you're the one putting stuff out there. It's always easy to think, oh, my God, I'm so boring. I'm saying the same thing over and over again when you have calls to action. But actually, for people on the other end, they easily forget, you know, they're not in your position. We're at the center of things. So you can keep repeating stuff. You can use stuff again and again and again, and people won't get sick of it. You'll be the one who gets sick of it way before your audience does, I think. Very true. Sometimes we forget. It's a bit like the seven interaction rule. Sometimes we forget that we are the ones that are the protagonists of our own stories. Most people yes. actually are protagonists of their own stories. Do so they forget very quickly about that? So I think it's a great reminder too. Well, sadly, I cannot ask more questions because it's time to quick fires. But it's all good. Let us know if you want Nick to come back and be grueled again with more questions or if you have any questions for him. <laughs> and I will rope him in. In the meantime, a few questions. So, quick fire. Mm. First one, Nick. What underrated tool or tools are indispensable for your work? God, underrated tools or tools indispensable for our work. I love, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's underrated, but I absolutely love Figma. And we use it as a way of like communicating within our team, but also with our customers as well. I don't know if you've come across it before. It's like design software where you can just like drop things in. It's kind of like F-I-G-M-A. It's really good. And we, we do all of our designs for the app in there, but we also use it to communicate with other people, build flow charts, that sort of thing. That's what I mean. I'm surprised about using it as a communication tool. I guess it's a bit like Miro, which is M-I-R-O, where you actually then yeah. create like exactly. a, a collaborate, collaborative board or something like that, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I also love Discord as well. We moved everything over from Slack to Discord and um, it made me feel about 87 years old when I started using it because I was like, what is this What is this thing? I can't figure it out. But now, a bit further down the line, I, I really enjoy it. Oh, that's amazing. And I know that's also where you have the community as well for customers and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Exactly. Now, a bit different. What is the last picture you took on your phone? And then... Oh my Follow god! Question. Okay, is that cathedral by any chance? Oh, it's really boring. Okay, I've got I've got a boring one, which is actually the last picture I took on my phone, which is a picture of like a Royal Mail tracking receipt. Love it. 
boring, very boring. But the one before that is actually a, a service I sang at on Sunday night oh, in a, a church in a church in Richmond. So it was, it is actually choral and church related. So there you go. Boom! I love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing it all back full circle. That's what I say. Um, Bring it all back. That's the song. That's the song I was thinking of. S Club Seven. Oh my God! Yes. Very good. I was, I was, I thought it was a step song, but it's S Club Seven. And but no judgment here because I was DJing kids parties. Remember, and that was the song that would get everyone on the dance floor. Hey, hey, hey! Is is the millennial? Is the millennial like teenager slash kid kind of like disco songs? I totally get that. I'm, I'm all for it. That's amazing. Yes, oh, yeah. S Club Seven. Funny. <laughs> Showing our age. Um, mm. And now the question is, uh, that's going to be interesting as well. What's your favorite social media platform at the moment and why? Mm, good question. Well, you know, if I was being boring, I'd say um, Instagram. But actually, I find myself on, I guess you count this as social media. I find myself on YouTube a lot at the moment. I just watch a lot of kind of helpful videos, like cooking videos and stuff on there. I find that algorithm gets me much more than Instagram's algorithm, actually, where I'm like, I'm, I think my like weird interests confuse Instagram's algorithm and I get served like all this crap that I have nothing, no interest in. But YouTube is kind of like honed in on it much more. So that's my kind of favorite, favorite social network to be on. If it is a social network, not really. Most guess. people say YouTube these days, funnily enough, and most people ask me if it's a social network and I say yes. So we're going to take it as such. I think yeah. it, it's kind of like an interesting when it gets a bit loose, but then at the same time, you, I can see it as a social network. So follow up on that. Is there mm. a creator that you follow recently that really stood out for you? Who's one of the latest creators that you followed on YouTube? Can you remember that? Or watched, mm. if it's easier. Yeah, good question. I mean, I, like I said, I've been watching a lot of sort of cookery things. So there's there's this one channel. I mean, <laughs> that or that or there's these there's the amazing Tolkien creators on YouTube who like put so much effort into these videos. There's one called Nerd of the Rings. There's one called the Tolkien Professor. There's one called the Prancing Pony Podcast. I, if you're into Tolkien, I recommend those three. And they they put so much effort into these videos. It's, it's brilliant. That is great. Well, last but not least, I like how we're literally going full circle with our trivia as well. Last but not mm -hmm. least, might be the hardest question. If you could broadcast one message onto everyone's phones, what would that message be? Oh, my God, that is that is a horrible question to end on. There's a lot of pressure. It's so difficult. One message onto everyone's phone. I guess um, in 20 years' time, you really won't care is what I would say. Whatever you're worried about now, it's uh, insignificant to the future you. Um, so that, you know, I, that that's sort of what I try and remind myself whenever I'm having a stressful day or I'm stressing about something, it, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of meaningless. I love that. That's a great reminder to finish on. Thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much, Nick, for like being open to have a, a very intense conversation. We went into great, beautiful, <laughs> wonderful places, some of which I was not expecting. So thank you. If people want to find out more about you, about Feed, checking it out, remind us where should they go? Uh, you can go to tryfeed.co, T-R-Y-F-E-E-D.co. Like the Grow, Sell, Grow framework. It's not the most catchy website, but, you know, try finding a, a feed-related website that, that makes sense. Um, so they, you, you can go there um, or you can get in touch with us directly directly. You know, if, if you're listening to this podcast, and you want to chat to me, absolutely happy to do that. Um, you can get in touch with me at nick at tryfeed.co. Um, 
always happy to chat with anyone who's interested in, in what we're doing. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spend the love on Instagram at Old Marketing School. Until next time.